You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, all of you up at the mills. I hope you're having a wonderful day today on this beautiful weekend. And uh, we have been talking about reset here. This is the theme of the month. We're resetting up, up places in our lives, parts of our of our, of, our, of our world gets stuck from time to time, and sometimes you just need to shut it down and start over again, kind of like your computer does when, when it gets stuck. You've got to reset it, shut it down, and begin and, 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 and start all over again. In fact, we had a bit of a reset here at uh, our office facilities this week, and as was probably mentioned to you up there at the mills, as was here too, we take, took our, our church offices from here, and move them to the new building at Parkside. So if you're ever wanting to come during the middle of the week to meet with one of the pastors or to visit the church office, don't come to this facility. It's down on uh, 3rd Street, corner of 3rd and Archie, right across from the park, the high school here in Oakmont. And I just want to say thanks to those of you who volunteered to help us make that move. Uh, And and you know who you are, and if I start listing names, I'm going to forget But to those of you that were here helping us to make that move, God bless you. Thank you so much. I also want to say thanks to the people that were out here at this facility and down at Parkside yesterday doing the landscaping, all the volunteers that showed up for that. We love you. We thank you. God bless you for helping me. Can you give them a a little round of applause? Thank you for doing that. So, So next week... I am so excited. This place is not going to be the same in here. We've never done a water baptism here in this facility. We will have it at the mills as well as here in Oakmont. We already have a good dozen or so people signed up. So if you've not been baptized since you've been a believer, please grab one of the brochures at the front here and complete that. Read over it. Let us know. We'll be in touch with you. And look forward to a wonderful, wonderful Week And that's, that's about reset. We've been talking about that. David, in the first week, talked about resetting your mind and your thoughts. And, and he referred to the passage in Romans that talks about baptism. Since we were buried with Christ, then we must count ourselves dead to sin. We were buried with Christ. And, and, and we raised out of the grave to new life. And so we must set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. I talked about resetting your ways a couple weeks ago, putting on the new and taking off the old. You partner with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps you to renew your mind, and it also challenges you to change your ways. And change must happen intentionally. So it's all about letting the Holy Spirit be your partner in helping you to change in the ways that you want to and the ways that you know God wants you to change. And today, we're going to talk about resetting relationships. And uh, what do you do when you hit the wall in a relationship? Do you call an end to it? Do you work through it? What are the options that we have? We're going to take a look at that. When your friendships fall apart, when your marriage falls apart, when your job falls apart, how do you reset? How can you redefine a relationship, perhaps, and restart over with a new way of looking at things? And the text that we're going to use as our core text today is found in Colossians, one of Paul's epistles in the New Testament. I invite you to turn there. 
And I also invite you to uh, use your Riverside app if you haven't downloaded that on your phone yet. If you have a phone, uh, then download the Riverside app and you can follow the notes along in that. And I'm just going to set my timer right there. Now it begins. All of that was not counting a sermon time. Don't, don't count it against me. Here we go. Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, since you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me just pray real quickly. God, may these words sink into our hearts today but may they also transform our actions and even our relationships. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. So the big idea of this passage is this. Since I have peace with God, I can find a way to make peace with others. Can you say that with me? Since I have peace with God, I can find a way to make peace with others. So there were these two guys. They developed a partnership. They were in the communication profession, and their mission was to expand the message, their message to new territories. They had become friends 14 years earlier than the the thing we're going to talk about here, when the first guy, whose name was Paul, experienced a life-transforming change of heart toward the second guy and his affiliates. Now, I want you to know... A change of heart is an understatement. Paul was, uh, uh, well, let's just say he hated this guy and his affiliates. They were not just in competition together. He, they, he was an enemy to, to these guys. Now, when no one else was there to, um, you know, trust Paul when he had this change of heart, one guy stepped up and said, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to get to know this guy. And that guy's name was Joseph. Now, Joseph took the risk, and he invited Paul to join him and to become a part of this affiliation that he formerly was an enemy of. And and because of Joseph's welcoming attitude, the others gave Paul a chance. Joseph vouched for Paul in the community, and he encouraged Paul to get into a leadership development process. Now, Although his name was Joseph, that was his given names, his friends called him Barnabas. Because Barnabas means the encourager, the one who encourages. Barnabas, the Bible says, was a kind and generous man. In fact, at the beginning of the church, he had had some property that he sold, and he shared the profits of of that property with the rest of the new believers in Jerusalem to help them to reach out to the widows, to the orphans, and to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. 
This was the kind of generous man Barnabas was. And um, the, the scripture describes him as a good man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, he was influential. I would say that Barnabas was influential in, in setting the DNA of the early church. And I believe that because of Barnabas's influence, all the compassion and encouraging ministries of the church that he got from Jesus was embedded in that early church. Now, after his initial introduction to the leaders in Jerusalem, through, through Barnabas's connection to him, Paul spent the next probably dozen years or so, maybe 14 years or so, growing in his understanding of Jesus and spreading the message to the regions right around Judea. And Jerusalem is in the area of Judea. And using his hometown of Tarsus as his home base, Paul was reaching out and ministering and just sharing what Jesus had done in his heart and in his life. And then there was this great move of the Holy Spirit in the town of Syrian Antioch. And a church was just blossoming there. And people from all diverse backgrounds, Jews and Greeks, were coming together to worship. Now that in that culture was revolutionary because Jews didn't like Greeks. Greeks didn't like Jews. They liked to keep themselves uh, segregated. But here in this church, God was doing a new thing. Well, Barnabas came up from Jerusalem to Syrian Antioch. And then he said to Paul, he invited Paul. He said, Paul, why don't you join me at this church? Because God's doing a great thing here. And so Paul and Barnabas joined together in this church in Antioch. And after they were there for a year, that church said, you two guys, we're going to send you out. And this was the partnership that was developed between these two. And we're going to send you out to new territories where you can share the message of Jesus. And we're going to support you like missionaries. These were the first missionaries. We're going to support you and, and release you so that you can go and spread the message. Well, they did. And the first place they went was to uh, um, the, the uh, island of, um, I want to say Crete, but it wasn't Crete. Well, I forget which island there. And that's where, where Barnabas was from. And then they went from there to uh, Asia Minor, where Turkey is now today. And in a two-year period, they started no less than eight churches in two years, these two guys, as they spread throughout the area. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, something happened along that first trip that they did. Shortly after the trip, when they were sent out from Antioch, Barnabas invited, and Paul invited Barnabas's younger cousin, John Mark, to join them on the trip. But, but very quickly on into that trip, <clears throat> John Mark had a change of mind, and he decided that he was not cut out for it or something. We don't know. It was a mystery. But something happened, and John Mark said, I'm not going to go the rest of the way with you. So he left there and went back to his home in Jerusalem. And so two years, Paul and Barnabas, they spread the message. The church grew. They came back. These guys were a great team, and their partnership was great. Uh, you can see, even if you read the story, Barnabas, it was, they were referred to as Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and, or Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then by the end of it, it was referred to as Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Because Paul had, uh, I would say, maybe greater leadership skills. He was more of the upfront guy. Barnabas, the kind encourager, the guy with the soft skills, the people skills, and wanting to keep everybody happy. And then you had Paul, who was out there in front preaching the message. He wasn't afraid to say things the way they were and pay the consequences of that. And so they really balanced each other out quite well. 
Um, then, so they came back, and then a couple years passed, and Paul asked Barnabas to go back with him to these churches that they started and to go even farther. And let's pick up the story right there in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. That was the island. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled along, or traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that were there. So, here these two guys, great friends, mature believers, leaders in the church, strong followers of Jesus, both of them doing great things for God, and they couldn't get along. What, what do we learn from Paul and Barnabas' fractured relationship? What do we learn? Number one, I think we learn this. Relationships are fragile. Are they not? Even the best of them have struggles. If, the, if two of the greatest leaders of the church couldn't keep their relationship intact... Why should we surprise when our relationships hit the rocks, when we go through tough times? Well, Paul's letters are filled with, with words like the ones we read previously in Colossians. In, in his letter to the Philippian church, he's appealing to two of the women there to be of the same mind, to get along. You, you ladies have been working with me in the ministry. I encourage you to be of the same mind and all the other leaders there. Please encourage these women to, to stop their disagreement. His letter to Philemon, the brief letter there, was a recommendation for Philemon to welcome his former slave Onesimus back and to make peace in their broken relationships. In fact, we can hardly read a chapter in the Bible without seeing some brokenness in relationships, beginning way back with Cain and Abel. So, So it's no surprise when we face difficulties in relationships. I believe every relationship is going to go through hard times. Can anybody agree with me on that? Every relationship is going to have hard times. Relationships are fragile. Why are they fragile? Number two, because we are all broken. We're broken. We're broken. We all have this bent towards sin and selfishness. And let's be honest, selfishness, sin... It hurts. It hurts. Not only us, it hurts other people. And hurting people when they are hurt tend to hurt other people. And the cycle just continues. And when we are hurt, we avoid pain. We, nobody wants to welcome pain. When you have a painful relationship, the tendency is, i got to get out of this. It's too hard to make it work. So we avoid pain, and then we pull apart. Imperfect people cannot create perfect relationships. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. Because there aren't perfect people. 
There aren't perfect people. I like what Donald Miller said. Uh, uh, Donald Miller said one time, he said, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, then you can begin to like them for who they really are. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So was Paul and Barnabas, was their relationship a complete failure? I, I think to a degree at that point, it seemed like a failure. Their disagreement was so sharp, it says, that they separated. That sounds pretty serious to me. Here was this dynamic duo, these, these two great leaders, mature believers, followers of Jesus. They couldn't make it work. So, so yeah, it seems like it was broken. Paul, the principled, fight for the truth, confrontational, get tossed out of the synagogue, get thrown into prison guy. And then you have Barnabas, you know, the compassionate, understanding, patient, give everybody a second chance person. Paul the driver, Barnabas the encourager. But think about it. Paul wouldn't have been the leader he was if Barnabas had not encouraged him when he was coming into the faith. They needed each other. Barnabas needed Paul to have the courage to go from town to town and speak the truth. So they were a great team. And what made them great was precisely the thing that drove them apart. The thing that made them good was their differences. And and yet it's those differences that eventually push them apart. And we've heard the saying, opposites attract, and that is true for a while. <laughs> they will attract for a while, but your opposites, your, your, the places where you are different will always be the place where you clash. I always recommend people, couples especially, people that are in working relationships, to understand each other's differences, do some do some personality assessments, do some, some character trait profiles. Uh, you know, there's some great tools out there. I recommend them highly. I could help you even with that if you want. Others can do the same, but there is some great value in knowing where you are different. Then when you have those clashes, uh, you can understand. That's a whole nother subject. We'll talk about that. But Paul and Barnabas' differences caused their breakup but I find it very interesting that in, the, in, in Luke, the writer of Acts, when he talked about their breakup, he did not take sides. Luke was very, very um, objective in his, in his assessment of them. Uh, he, he no doubt could see the differences that they had and why they clashed. And he was, he was just probably this, uh, this objective outsider that could say, yeah, I can see why you guys are having problems. So he didn't. He didn't, he, didn't put, he didn't throw Barnabas under the bus, nor did he throw Paul under the bus. He just explained, this is what happened. But was it a complete failure? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Because where there was going to be one missionary journey, there were now two. Barnabas took John Mark, went south, went, went, went back to where they were in, in Cyprus and went elsewhere. And Paul and Silas went their direction Luke stayed with Paul and Silas. That's why we have the record of Paul's missionary journeys. That does not mean that Barnabas wasn't continuing in ministry. In fact, we have evidence that he did continue, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So the point is, how many churches were started not because there was this great desire of one church to plant another church, but there was a split in the church, and, and because of the split in the church, they started another one down the street, and now there's two churches where there was once one. How many of you are familiar with church starting, church plants going that way? Well, of course it happens. Uh, it's not the ideal way, but it happens. So 
Let's talk about hitting reset. If it can happen to Paul and Barnabas, the whole point is it can happen to us. And I want to hit real briefly on reset always means a fresh start, a new start. Sometimes that means ending a relationship and starting a new one, a dating relationship, a work relationship, a friendship relationship. And sometimes it's realizing that this, this relationship is too important. It is too valuable to end. And we're going to hit reset and we're going to repair it to a better way. We're going to make it better. So two ways to hit reset. Number one, I can hit reset in a relationship by ending it and starting over. And, um, and there's a great book that, that has been recommended to you before. I want to remind you of that. Dr. Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And that's really what sometimes you need to do in a relationship that's not going to work. Paul and Barnabas, uh, maybe they were a great duo for a while, but there was going to be a time where it, wasn't just, it just wasn't going to work out with them as they continued. So they decided, we're going to separate and go our other ways. One's going to use this method of evangelism. Another one's going to use that method of evangelism. And, and neither one is wrong. They are both doing it the way that's more natural to them. And as a result, the church grew through two people going their separate ways. So starting over can, can happen when you redefine the relationship. It's that, it's that conversation that we've probably all heard at some point in life. You know, I think we should just be friends. <laughs> Anybody ever heard those words said? You know what that means. It means this relationship is now over. It is starting over in a different way. And I think that's what, what reset can mean sometimes. It's saying, okay, it's not going to work out the way that we thought it was going to be. But let's just be friends. Let's start over. Let's start over. It's not going to work. We have different ways of seeing things. Can we just agree to disagree? And can we do it agreeably as we can? I mean, the fact of the matter, Max Lucado said, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. Right? Conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Notice what Paul says in Colossians, the verse we read earlier. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, uh, gentleness and patience. Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud says that endings are not a tragedy to be first feared and later regretted, but a necessary stage on the way to growth. And, and, and that's what happened with Paul and Barnabas. In 1 Corinthians 9, we can see evidence there that, that even after they separated, Paul refers to Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 as a fellow worker, as another one who is, who is in a partner in the gospel and going out there. So even though they separated, they did not lose respect for one another. Paul continued to see Barnabas as his equal, and he was going out and doing ministry in a different way. In 2 Timothy 4, we see here also at the end of Paul's life, his last letter that we know of in Scripture, writing to Timothy when he is waiting his impending death, he writes to Timothy and he says, Luke alone is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful in serving me. Interesting. Even Paul saw the value of Mark later on. Now, this was years later. Was it Paul's rebuke of Mark that caused him to mature? Was it Barnabas's constant nurturing and encouraging him that caused him to grow to that place where Paul saw him as valuable? We don't know which, but the fact of the matter is the breakup wasn't a, wasn't a disaster. Growth happened as a result of it. And by the way, FYI, 
This Mark is the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was a disciple of Peter. And so when we see the, gospel, the, the, the writings in, of the Gospel of Mark, it's basically Peter's Gospel, but Mark was the writer of that. Interesting little tidbit of information. The third evidence that this was a healthy, necessary ending is that when the contention was not solved, neither Paul nor Barnabas stopped what God had called them to do. They continued on in ministry. And as I've said several times, uh, two new ministries began as a result of that. So the fact of the matter is sometimes you might be in a job that's not working. You might be in a friendship, a dating relationship that's not working. And sometimes the best thing to do is to nip it in the bud to say, okay, this isn't going to work. Maybe God has another plan for my life. Maybe God has something else. And we need to make this a healthy ending. And let's move forward in different directions. So that can be a reset that we can see which happened in their relationship. Secondly, I want to touch on the fact that we can hit reset in a relationship by repairing it. Again, the passage we read earlier, Paul said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive how? As the Lord forgave you. How does God forgive us? Aren't you thankful that he does? Aren't you glad that God can forgive us? But how does that happen? In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the connection between confession and forgiving there. What is true confession? What is, what is authentic forgiveness? Lewis Smedes, the uh, late professor at Fuller Seminary, writer of a book, Forgive and Forget, other books on forgiveness. He talks about this, and I just want to borrow heavily from him for just a few minutes. What is genuine confession? First of all, what he says is confession is not some things. Confession is not simply talking about your mistakes. It's not just simply saying, yeah, you know, I make mistakes. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, this is what, yeah, I have this problem. Yeah, you know, confession isn't just talking about your sin uh, and cavalierly saying, this is how it is. This is who I am. That's not confession. And, and confession, he says, is not simply explaining it. Well, I made this mistake, but this is why I made this mistake, Right? This is why I did this. This is why I am the way I am. It's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. It's my everybody else's. It's the circumstances. If you were in my shoes, you would do the same thing. Confession is not explaining it away or giving the reasons for it. And he also says confession isn't the same as just being realistic about it, meaning, oh, everybody does it. Let's just be realistic about this. Everybody has this struggle. Everybody has this problem. Everybody makes mistakes. That's not confession. What, what Smead says is confession is an acknowledgement of our responsibility. It's saying, I did this. And you might have all the justifications and rationale in your mind of what made you do this. But confession is owning up to the fact that you still had a choice in doing it. 
Nobody made you do that. You chose to do that. Another thing he says is that confession is shared pain. Shared pain. When I truly confess to you that I hurt you, I'm acknowledging that the hurt that I caused you hurts me. It hurts me that I hurt you. I own that I did this to you. I'm sorry that I did. I feel badly. It's not about you. You're not saying, well, it's all about me. What was me? It's, I know that I hurt you because I'm hurting because I hurt you. You're feeling that shared pain with that person. That, 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 that the wounds that I caused sliced into your life, but it also cut me. And confession can only be real when there is an authentic sense of shared hurt. The hurt you caused and the hurt you feel as a result of causing that. And then he says that true confession is a gamble. It's a gamble on grace. It's a gamble that you now make yourself vulnerable to that person. Will they forgive you or won't they forgive you? They don't have to forgive you. If I confess to you, is it manipulating you to get back into your life? No, it's not that. It's I know that I hurt you. I am sorry. Please forgive me. But it's a gamble on grace. That person then either may or may not forgive you. And that's their responsibility, not yours. But true confession is letting them know that you own it and you understand the hurt that you caused. So every confession is an acknowledgement of responsibility, the feeling of shared pain, and a gamble on the other person's grace. And when those elements are in place the miracle of reconciliation can begin. So what is true forgiveness? Let's talk again. What forgiving is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Smeed says forgiveness is hard. Forgetting is easy. All you need to do is have a short memory. All you need to do is is have enough fear to drive out the memory in in the dark pit of your unconsciousness. Um, You... Just because you forgive doesn't mean you can forget. And, and he also says that if God could have forgotten, he would not have needed the cross. He would have just said, it doesn't matter, I've forgotten it. Forgiving isn't forgetting. He also says, <clears throat> forgiveness is not excusing. And we all need a lot of excusing for the dumb things that we do, Right? We all do dumb things. And we can excuse innocent mistakes. And there's a time to just excuse an innocent mistake. But excusing hurt or pain isn't the same as forgiving it. So if it's not forgiving or forgetting, and if it's not excusing, then then what in heaven's name is forgiveness? Smeed says, forgiveness is very simply a miracle. It's the miracle of a new beginning, starting again from where you are, not where you wish you were. Starting from where you are, not where you wish you were. And when you truly forgive someone, you hold out your hand and you say, I can't excuse what you've done. I may not understand what you've done. And I cannot forget what you've done, but I want to be your friend again. I want to be your spouse again. I want to be your parent again. Let's start over. And when we're really ready to forgive, 
you don't have to understand it all. We don't have to get the story straight. We don't have to sew all the loose ends together in our minds. We need to begin where we are in the shared pain and determine to walk into the future together. What will that future be like? Who knows? It, It may involve more pain. It may involve more confessing. It may involve more new beginnings. Forgiveness doesn't guarantee a painless future, and it cannot turn the clock back. But we begin where we are, and sometimes that means beginning a new relationship, as I talked about. A divorced woman may need to forgive her estranged husband, Smead says, and then begin a new life with a new marital status. A child, perhaps a very old child, he says, who is angry with a parent, may need to forgive a parent long dead. His forgiveness will be a new beginning with his parent's memory. So whatever the situation is, whatever the status of the relationship, when you sense that another person has shared the pain that he or she has caused you, you are ready to forgive if you have the grace enough to do it. And there's the rub. As long as we are relating to sinful people, confession is a huge risk. I may not have the grace to forgive you. You have to take that risk. You may not have the grace to forgive me. I have to take that risk. The good news with God is this. It's not a risk when you confess to God. You are guaranteed that God will forgive you. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. That person may not forgive you, but the one who knows you best loves you most. He will forgive you. He will forgive you. In Jesus' suffering, he held out his pain to God as if to say, Father, I now feel your pain of sin. On that cross, he's saying, I understand how painful sin is. This is what, pain, what sin does. The sin of the world was, was, was imputed onto Jesus, and he felt the pain of all of our stupid, dumb, angry, selfish, sinful decisions that we make. And he says to God, God, I confess it all to you. I confess it all to you. Jesus, in sharing the pain on the cross, made the perfect confession of sin for you and for me. And the cross is the guarantee that there is a new beginning for us. And because Jesus made that perfect confession, we now can go to God and be made clean. We can have a new start. We can hit reset and begin. Forgive one another as Jesus forgives you. Wow. Wow. Jesus won't turn the back. He won't close the door on you. He can be relied on. I'm going to invite up at the mills, the band, and Pastor David to step up to the mic up there. And here in Oakmont, the same thing. I'm going to invite the band up here. And as they're coming, I I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us individually. So to do that, would you give me the kindness of just bowing your heads and closing your eyes? Because I just want to just talk with you for a few seconds here. I want to ask you some questions for you to ponder.
And then we'll have a time of prayer. (coughs) So, I know as I've been talking this morning, the Holy Spirit has been putting faces and names in your head. What relationship is the Holy Spirit bringing to the forefront of your mind this morning? It could use a reset. And and what is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do in order to hit reset in that relationship? Maybe it's have that conversation. Maybe it's time we... We go our separate ways. Maybe it's a job that you've been hanging on to and you know that that's not the future you need to be in and it's time to have a necessary ending or a dating relationship or friendship. If that's the case, what healthy actions do you need to take to make that a healthy ending? Maybe the relationship is not one you want to walk away from, but it needs to be repaired, and you need to hit reset in that relationship. Can I begin by saying what what must you do to own your part of the problem? To take responsibility, to share the pain that you caused. What confession do you need to gamble at taking? but it's about him, it's about her. He did it, she did it. Well, possibly. I always tend to think that everybody bears some responsibility. But perhaps, perhaps you've been hurt deeply and the person is trying to make it right with you. What will it take for you to forgive? Can you, can you begin with a new understanding that it's not how you hoped it was going to be, but it is what it is, and you're going to move forward with it, make the best of it, and try to make it even better? Forgiveness always includes a death. The cross was Jesus dying, taking on the pain, and forgiving you need to die to your hurt and anger and let it go let it go so you can forgive can you share the pain that God shared to be able to say to you I want you to come to me and I want to come in and dine with you can you say that to somebody I'm going to let David take it at the mills at this time, and I'll just continue here to pray with people. So if you're here this morning and you sense the Holy Spirit talking to you, can, can you just own up to that? Just admit it and say, yes, yeah, Spirit, I know. Raise your hand wherever you are and just say, yeah, I believe you're talking to me, Pastor. 
people, there's this situation I know I need to do something about. Could be a work, could be a friend, could be a neighbor, could be a spouse, could be a parent, a child, could be anybody. So yeah, I, I need to make it better. I need to make it better. I can't tell you exactly what to do, but I can tell you the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Holy Spirit speaking to you. Let the Spirit tell you what to do about that. Now what I want you to do is make a decision, an action step. So this is what I'm going to do. And then I want you to say this is when I'm going to do it. And then I want you to say, this is who I'm going to tell that I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. This is when I'm going to do it. And this is who I'm going to tell that I'm going to do this. And there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees of the results of what you do. But I want you to also... No. And this is for anybody here, everybody here. That if you need to come to God and confess to God, it's a safe bet. Do it. Do it. And let God help you to reset your ways, your mind, your relationships. Would you just pray with me, Jesus? <clears throat> help me to reset my walk with you and help me to reset my relationships with others in my life. Relationships that have been broken or strained. Help me to do what I can to make it better. God, give me the grace. Give me the wisdom. Give me the courage to do what I need to do. And Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done that hurt others because it also hurt you. Forgive me of my sin, Jesus. I know that I was wrong. And I need you to help me make it right. Give me a new start, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.